Right on. Bruno, welcome to the podcast, man. I'm super, I'm super excited to talk to you today. I've done a, a bit of research about you over the past couple of weeks about you and getting to know you a bit the other week when we chatted that, uh, yeah, that really set the tone for my level of excitement today. And uh, yeah, man, thank you very much for your time today. So I'm stoked to do this. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. And thank you for reaching out to me and that, you know, to opening me up to your, your audience. And I'm looking forward to this conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. So with that being said, kind of start us off um, from your transition in like ending of high school to kind of where we are now. And then we'll go through, we'll go back through it full circle. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, this is, this is kind of maybe one of those, uh, <laughs> those journey that, that, you know, is, the, the typical one but when you kind of find sometimes that there is um you, know, you hear a lot about it with college how people kind of step out of college um and then they go on and and, and do great things mm -hmm. i think it was just my experience right out of high school um i left high school uh before graduating at around 16 uh oh. because the the learning um the structure of the learning wasn't designed for now that we know neurodivergent like myself, mm -hmm. um, who, you know, ADD <laughs> back then oh, yeah. it was just a, tro a troubled kid, right? We're talking about yeah. the 80s and the 90s here, uh, 80s for sure. Uh, that's how <laughs> old I am. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was uh, the, the, the learning curve was not designed for uh, people like me. And so um, I was a hard worker. I was already working at 16. I had two jobs. I actually left high school um, and then got a job that same day. Uh, working for back then, uh, you know, uh, consumers distributing, which was uh, very similar to, I don't know if you remember it, but I felt it very similar to Amazon. You had yeah. a cat catalog, you could go over there or Lee Valley tools actually is like that. But one thing I'm going to tell you is that I had to go back and finish my high school equivalency because I, I wanted to become an electrician and then mm -hmm. yet a lot of doors were closed. Yeah. So um, it was that, but what I found was that doing the testing they gave me the books. They tell me you have two weeks to study and then you have to do this test, the high school equivalency. And that was designed for me because then Amazing. I could learn on my own. I can make sense out of it. And I found out that actually when I did the test that I was, you know, smart, <laughs> I was intelligent. I just Let's could go. not, <laughs> I could, I just could not say, stay sitting down hours yeah. at a time, listening to somebody in the front, just teach something. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And then from there, uh, you know, I, I've worked uh, a wide array of jobs. Uh, I've worked for 11 years. I always, always worked uh, from 13 years old until I joined the military at uh, 25. Um, I worked in the restaurant business. I started as a busboy, made my way to waiter, um, a bartender, manager, and also a bouncer. So nice. I've done, you know, all the roles into uh, that industry, but I also worked on construction, became an electrician, uh, which uh, we'll see as we talk about my military career, how that paid off as well. Yeah. And, um, and then I, I worked really away. I went into sales. I've tried very, I went door to door selling. I've done a whole bunch of stuff. And uh, what it showed me is that uh, it got me the ability to really interact with the different types of people that were out there um, and then uh, actually find out what I really, really wanted, enjoyed doing physical work that also challenged you mentally, not just yeah. not just being a laborer or yeah. doing something, but I needed something to challenge me. So that's when 
basically the military came up. And uh, funny enough is that I was a manager at a sports bar and some of our regular clients were recruiters for the Canadian Armed Forces. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. And they were talking and I was, you know, 25 and they said, Bruno, I think, you know, you do really well in the military. Um, Would you like to join? And I had said to them, I said, well, I actually tried twice to join before um, about, you know, about when I was 19 or so. But at that time, they were doing a force reduction. So the Canadian Armed Forces actually from, I think they went from 90,000 to 60,000. Oh, interesting. And then another time when I went, the recruiter in um, Ottawa was only recruiting. They were only recruiting officers for the Navy at the time. And for that, you needed a degree, which I didn't have. Right. Right. So one, one, another time, right? The, another example of when you don't have the required degrees or things that some doors will be closed for you. Yeah. And, um, but at that time, uh, when I was at the restaurant, they actually, the forces were open to join. And then I went in and did the recruiting and went through the physical testing and did the, the aptitude test and the, the testing for it. And a bunch of, um, trades were open to me, uh, different branches and everything. And the one that I picked was army. I picked right. army because obviously that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a paratrooper and also a weapons specialist, which is a weapons tech technicians out there. And I went in and I joined and my life transformed at that point. Um, joining the military uh, gave me purpose, direction, discipline. Uh, it was literally what I was designed to do. Basically. Amazing. Um, I ate it up every day. I enjoyed <laughs> I enjoyed basic training. I enjoyed uh, battle school. I enjoyed uh, the trades training. I enjoyed the camaraderie. I enjoyed the way that everything was designed. If you're a young man or young woman and you're looking for direction in your life and you're not too sure, I believe that the military gives you that platform to be able to push yourself in ways you didn't even exist, didn't even know that existed. Interesting. Because wow. even in basic training, like I did mine in the fall. And we were in Farnham, Quebec, and it was when they had the um, the freezing rain uh, okay. storms. Oh, yeah. And so, but we were out in the field during these times. And so we were wet and cold oh, for miserable. two weeks. Yeah, sleeping in, mm. <laughs> sleeping in your sleeping bag on the ground. Zero fun. Well, you would think so. <laughs> A little bit, eh? <laughs> like now today, if you ask me at 48 years old, if I want to go sleep in the, in the freezing rain, I would say, mm, not really. Like, uh, not today, but, not this time. Yeah. it's because i've done it right but the right. thing is back then it showed me that even though we were so many people on the scores that i had a an ability to really switch on the mindset and to continue to push through difficult challenge mm-hmm. right and so uh the military really showed uh showed me how to you know who i was basically and what i was capable of how did you make those kind of decisions in your military career about what you wanted to pursue and what you did. And cause it sounds like there was a lot available in terms of branches and skills that you could kind of fi- like finite, get really good at. Right. Like how were you able to kind of make those choices? Cause it sounds like there was a lot available. There is. And, and you know, there is what is very attractive or uh, what should I say? Um, what is really good for us is that in the military, you do have, Uh, you know, tier, what we call tier operators is basically, you have the basics of the Canadian Armed Forces. So basically, what I recommend people that are listening right now thinking about joining the military is that Mm -hmm. 
I highly recommend that you pick up a trade. Now, if you want to be an infantier, if you want to be, you know, a bosun, if you want to be an engineer, um, a combat engineer or artillery and all these things, which are really amazing. Uh, there's, you get to really push your body. You get to actually do the work of a soldier. Uh, if that is the, the way to go, then you're going to actually, you know, face yourself many times, uh, you know, being sleep deprived, all of these things, which is great. Mm-hmm. When you pick a trade, you get to do that as well, but you get to qualify yourself and challenge yourself with a trade, whether that be mechanic, weapons tech, uh, radio operator, uh, you know, and it goes on and on and it goes up. Now they have electronics technicians, they have, mm-hmm. you know, um, intelligence uh, operator, they have a whole bunch of stuff that you can go in and um, learn a trade and still do the soldier on uh, the shouldering thing. Right. And what I, I'm going to tell you is that you need to have a foot in the door. It's like anything else, right? You go, yeah. You'll go to university, let's just say you finish high school, which we're talking about. And then you get, I'm not too sure where to go. Well, you have trade school or you'll have college or you'll have university. Right. And then once you get into those doors, you kind of basically, unless you really know what you want to do, um, you'll pick like a basic general, uh, from my understanding, obviously, you'll pick like an, a general kind of degree. I'm going to get science and everything. Yeah, that's how she then, goes. Yeah. And then after you've chosen that, then you have a doors opening of different kind of specializations that you can do. The military provides that as well. So Uh, as you go in, you get mm -hmm. your trades qualified. Then after that, you can go with human intelligence. You can go with special forces. You can go, uh, you know, uh, interrogation specialists. You can go, you know, there's every, there's so many possibilities. You can go for close protection. So bodyguards, you can go for, you know, um, uh, so many things that are out there, paratrooper, uh, yeah. you know, uh, advanced uh, recognition, uh, rec- recognition. Um, you know, there's so many things that is available to you that for you to stay stagnant within the forces is, is, is it's a, it's a hard decision mm-hmm. because they're always looking for the people that are constantly looking for growth and seeking yeah. the best version of themselves. Right. You think that'd be also an industry that, if you stay stagnant, like you're going to put other people at risk as much as yourself, right? Not only are you not growing, so now there are lives at risk because you want to be content. I don't know. It just feels like you need to be have of a growth mindset in order to be even moderately successful. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think, Glenn, I think that you're on the right track here. But once again, I want to bring this in because you, you mm-hmm. just brought it up is that you do have the go getters that are out there. But you also have the people that actually know what they want to do. Like, you know, oh, okay. the clerks, the cooks, the logistics and all the, we need still like any organization in the world, any corporation, yeah. you have the, you know, the guys, the leaders, the people that are out there trying to better themselves and all these things, but they're also people bet- bettering themselves, but only want to do a certain spe- specialization or a certain trade. Like some people right. are really amazing at being mechanics and they are solution finders and they're really good at what they do. Amazing. We actually need those people, right? Because think about it, Glenn, if you're, let's just talk about a corporation. If everybody's somebody that's looking for the next level, you're constantly going to have a revolving door. Yeah, it's a good point. And, and training's going to happen. And there's nothing wrong with the people. This is what I'm actually really good at. And is when I build teams is 
we're finding up the key foundational people that actually are really good. They're good IT techs, they're good clerks, they're good, hmm. you know, um, communication, marketing people that are actually, that's what they want to do and they're expert at it. And those are your foundational people. And then you have your salesmen and your leaders and your managers that are looking to grow more and to go out and to try different things. Yeah. That's what a real team is all about. Interesting. So you said uh, you specialized in weapons tech, right? Yeah, uh, in the army. And then I transferred yes. over to the Navy. Right. When I came back, so I went on my first tour in Afghanistan, Kabul, uh, in Kabul, Roto Zero in 2003, 2004, which was a seven and a half month tour, which was amazing. Um, it was um, it was a challenging tour. It was in Kabul. It was relatively safe. We did lose some uh, some troops over there. Um, obviously, it is a war zone. It was where, uh, you know, obviously, we've heard of uh, the Afghanistan uh, oh, yeah. campaign of Canada. And then uh, when I came back, I was looking for another challenge. And what I did was I had heard on uh, this show called uh, Forbidden Places uh, about oh, clearance yeah. divers. Interesting. And clear clearance divers are the elite divers of the Navy. And, um, and it was a, an unknown trade. Even when you're in the forces, there's things you don't know that we do. And one of them is that I knew that we had combat divers with the combat engineers in the army. Yeah. And then we had ship steam divers in the Navy, but I had never heard of the clearance diver, which is a very small group, about 120 of them throughout all of Canada. Yeah. And these guys are the expert divers. So they're the expert at dive medicine, uh, welding underwater, uh, bomb disposal, um, beach clearing. They're, they're like um, sonar, sub rescue. Jeez. Uh, deep depth, like we're talking about 350 feet, uh, working at uh, bottoms, um, you know, raising sunken ships, uh, dismantling mine underwater. So there's a lot of work that is being done by these elite uh, divers. And I wanted to be part of that. The only way you could get to even be considered was to be a combat in a uh, combat diver from the combat engineers or to be a, in the Navy, become a ship's team diver, and then be recommended again to become to go on selection. Um, there was no way for me as a weapons technician in the Army to get a position, take a position from an engineer, a combat engineer, to be an enge- a combat diver, mm-hmm. because that's reserved for their guys. And then so what happened is that I needed to transfer over to the Navy, so I became a, a bosun, which is the infantry of the Navy, they drive the small boats, they take care of the small arms, the, the explosives, everything yeah. uh, that the, the Navy takes care of. And then I went on a tour with them. We went to what was called the West Ploy. So I went to Hawaii, played some war games there with the Pacific Rim countries. Then we went over to Japan, China, Korea, Alaska. We like It was a really nice tour. The tours yeah. between the Navy... And the army are absolutely different. A little different, eh? <laughs> that, is, that is for sure. And then when I came back, the deal was that I would get onto a ship steam diver course, which is a six-week-long course for learning about diving and uh, taking mines off to ship's hall, um, you know, uh, really kind of conducting um, uh, inspections of the hull of the ship, cleaning the propellers, kind of changing the domes and everything and all that. And then once you've 
uh, finished that course and you've mastered your diving, then you can ask to be on the selection, which is a 10-day selection for becoming a Clarence diver. And um, at okay. that point, uh, I uh, went to the uh, base personal selection officer, uh, which is basically like a career manager, like somebody yeah. over, like a actually a career counselor over at the at high school, and oh, they basically look at your career, look at your grades and your testing because you're constantly being tested in the forces, and then they say they either recommend you or tell you, hey, you know what, you got to go do more studying here. You got to work on your math or you're going to do all these things. Mm -hmm. And then it goes up the chain and then you're, it goes over to the uh, fleet diving unit and they recommend, okay, yeah, we'll take these guys. And on my selection that we did, we started 40 and finished eight. So it was uh, three officers and five non-commissioned officers. So yeah. Wow. Yeah. Strict so selection was, uh, process. It is. It is, right? It's not for the faint at heart. It's for yeah. the people that really want to be there. Which is a and good then thing. And that's when my my training started with the with the Clarence Divers and then learning about bomb disposal and learning about doing these things, which led me to become a counter IED operator, which my second tour in Afghanistan is where I went in for another seven months and dismantled some some pretty <laughs> amazing um, roadside bombs. Yeah. Yeah, that was something that you mentioned. Um, you mentioned, Adam mentioned, and I came across in articles. And as from an outsider, right, perspective, hearing about that, and you saying it laughing, like, yeah, it's pretty crazy stuff. It's like, I can't, like, we can't wrap our heads around that. Because as much as it's like, oh, that sounds really cool. It's like, that's dangerous. Like that's, that's extreme. Like that's as, that's as intense as it gets, right? Like that's, that's, you're playing with life or death and it's in your hands, right? So that's, that's not, like you said, of the faint of heart for good reason, right? And I just want to know, kind of take us through what that's like, like those very intense moments where you're diffusing suicide vests or you're messing with IEDs. Like, how does that just try to put it in perspective for someone like myself or friends or audience members of mine who maybe don't know the risk or the putting themselves in those shoes to fully understand that situation. If you can. No, of course, of course. The thing is, I would like to say is that the Canadian armed forces are some of the best, if not the best in the world at conditioning you to do a very hard job. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're talking about. Mindset conditioning, uh, driving the body, pushing further, and actually yeah. really finding out who you truly are. And the way, if we understand about, you know, psychology and conditioning and how it is, is that it takes, uh, you know, you go through really rigorous training to be able to say, hey, we want you to go down and dismantle that bomb, or we want you to attack that machine gun nest, or we need to attack this trench, or we need mm -hmm. to clear this building. It needs a certain type of mindset to say, this is what we need to do. And we've got to, you know, cross that door, clear this building or go down and dismantle this bomb. Yeah. And I'm going to be honest that we're so well trained that never in all of the IEDs that, I, that I've dismantled, which was over a hundred of them, um, that I've never feared for my life. And right. we had a, a few close call that we got, we got shot at. Uh, we blew robots up. Uh, there was some that we needed to go down. We had some injuries. We had a whole bunch of stuff that happened. And your, 
this is what we need to understand about conditioning is that your basically your automatic system when you're conditioned well takes over the training takes over uh, right yeah and I guess so. the very best description was from a navy seal he says you won't rise to the occasion you will fall down to the level of your training oh right? wow right so well a lot said. of people exactly it's that makes so, so much powerful. sense so let's let's kind of pull that apart. Yeah, please. And it, it'll explain to you what it looks like to go downrange, what we call down the road onto an IED is basically, you know, let's bring this into the, the civilian world, to corporations mm -hmm. and everything. There's this, you know, we got a lot of influencers now on the, on, on the Internet. We got oh, yeah. access to so much knowledge, so much people doing different things, different ways and everything. And, you know, you got the David Goggins out there. You got the Jocko Wilnick. You got the... You know, all these Navy SEALs are great. You know, Jody Midich, who was a, you know, top um, uh, sniper and very good friend of mine. We've got some really good guys that are out there doing some great things. And the things you got to understand is exactly that. A lot of people will think we see that, especially with COVID that had happened and everything about, you know, Ukraine and all these things and then yeah. freedom fighters and all these things that people will think when I'm faced with a certain challenge, when I'm faced with a life or death situation, this is how I'm going to react. Mm -hmm. And here's what I'm going to tell you. Everybody thinks that they're going to react a certain way. Yeah. But if you've never put yourself through rigorous training and have faces your deepest fear and have put yourself through a type of training that will get you to test how you react under stress, you'll never know hundred percent how you're going to react. And right. that's what that saying is all about. You won't rise to the occasion. You will fall back to the level of your training. So yeah. this is what I'm talking about is that when people think, oh, you know, I'm going to go down this career path because, you know, I'm going to be a neurosurgeon. I'm going to be, you know, all these things. We think we have an image and that's what we call uh, the imagination, right? We distort reality a little bit, right. which gets us to, um, to achieve our goals, because if we couldn't distort reality, we wouldn't achieve our goal because we couldn't see ourselves driving that yeah. Ferrari or making that 10 grand or whatever that is. Yeah. But then, you know, if you go and you, you start going through medical school and then you start opening bodies and all this stuff, and then you yeah. realize, dude, that's not for me. <laughs> right. That's what I'm talking about is that mm -hmm. people can make a perception of how they're going to react. Yeah. But I'm going to tell you, you can see that as, um, uh, you know, in psychology, they, they, the fight, flight, or freeze now, right? Interesting. And those are the things that you won't know how you're going to react until you're faced with a stressful situation, right? Yeah, absolutely. A perfect example. I'm going to bring this back because, you know, we talk about the military and dismantling bomb, which I'll yeah. talk about. But a perfect example is when I came back of Afghanistan, the second tour, mm -hmm. I was driving with my wife at the time and we came upon, it was uh, at night and we came upon uh, people flagging us down because they had, we were the first to arrive to the scene of an accident of a car that went down a ravine. Oh no. And the people were on the side of the road. They told me there's a car in the ravine. By the time they turned around, I was already on top of the car, opening up the door, getting inside. Amazing. 
Yeah. So, so this is what I'm talking about. And then they were calling the emergency services and all these things. I was checking on the guy. Nice. I found out that he was drunk and, you know, he had crashed and all these things, but he was kind of fine. So I was taking yeah. care of him until the services arrived. They arrived. I got into my car and I drove away. Epic. <laughs> right? So, so this is what yeah. it is. My wife was still vibrating going like, Oh my God, you disappeared. You came out. We're in the car and we're just driving. She was still kind of processing the whole thing. I was uh, done. Amazing. Yeah. Interesting. Because I had experience, I had experience in Afghanistan, you know, um, a perfect example is that I would show up on my first, first day on my second tour as a counter IED operator. And the first call, the first operational call after our initial on the ground training yeah. uh, was three suicide bomber that had detonated in a full market outside the governor's palace. No. So, so basically when I got there, we parked about 200 meters away from the epicenter and um, we had the point of contact and, you know, the uh, uh, Afghan national police person comes over and says, this is what happened. And then uh, I start walking. And the first thing you kind of notice is that there's burnt cars, there's burst pipes, there's mayhem everywhere, but it's kind of not registering yet, right? Because interesting, this is kind of like the thing, your, your brain and your, your psychology and everything filters a lot of that information. You're looking Whoa. for like other things. What kind of really snapped me out of the, the whole thing was that my boots were sticking to the ground. Weird. And then I was like, yeah, I was like, what is that? And I looked down and basically what I'm walking on is blood and flesh and all these things that, no that you didn't, I didn't even register when I registered that that's when I woke up, like, and I kind of uh, snap out of it. Yeah, and yeah. Now I'm like, okay, this is what's happening. But then I snapped back into my training and I went, okay, what is happening here? So found the piece of unexploded ordinance from a vest. I found some stuff and I, we had to clear the area to make sure that it was safe. And mm -hmm. then we needed to gather evidence that set the tone for the seven months following because yeah. we would get called for already exploded ID with, you know, uh, either allied or Canadian troops that had blown up. And we had to go and secure and clear the, the, the scene, or we were called to a school that had been blown up to add called to, a public place that had been blown up, or we had been mm -hmm. called many, many times on this is where we found an ID. We need you guys to come over, whether it was the American, the special forces or ourselves, we were extremely busy. Mm -hmm. Our day, our day was comprised of um, starting at uh, five o'clock in the morning. We'd get our first calls. We were out of the camp by six o'clock and we'd come back at last light, which was usually nine o'clock, 10 o'clock at night. Cause we were there yeah. during the summer. And then after that is replenishing our, our stores, making sure we got all our, our shapes and uh, our, our explosives ready. Everything is good to go. The truck is fueled. The, the ammunition is replenished and everything. And then I had to do the reports of everything for the intelligence and putting in yeah. the evidence and all that stuff. So there was a lot of work being done over there. And it kind of like it was an exciting time because you got to do really what you were trained to do. Yeah. And, uh, and once again, I'll reiterate that I was never, I never feared for my life. Um, I, the guys that I had beside me were switched on and very professional and we had a really small uh, team. And, um, and the other times was just that my training was at a very high standard and I'm, I'm actually very 
grateful that we're trained that way in the Canadian Armed Forces. Yeah, no kidding. It sounds like the importance of training, and I think in general for high stress and high pressure, um, I think, like you said, it falls into your training. And the way that kind of my one like extreme example we'll use is when I was working in Ottawa, because I lived there for four years. So when I was working as a lifeguard, there was a gentleman who had a heart attack and I responded first, like right away. We did our compressions, the whole team, everybody professional knew the steps. There was nobody that was like, Oh no, what are we doing? Freaking out, thankfully. So the gentleman ended up living, but looking back as of, as the years have kind of gone by and I was, I think in 2017 in fe- early February, but every time I look back on it thinking, I'd never had that exact scenario set up for me where it was nearly as high stress, but the training, the amount of like first aid courses and like lifeguarding courses and just general response emergency courses that I've taken throughout the years kind of paid off in that moment, but the stress was never the same, right? So I'm wondering like, how do you train that stress or is is it just like repetition, repetition, repetition so that your body takes over? That is, you got the two points, right? So basically this guy having a heart attack for you was your crucible, was the the testing of all of your training. Absolutely. And how do we condition somebody to do is to anchor that training in by absolutely this, right? We know for a fact that science has proven that you need 10,000 high quality hours to master a skill or, you know, master an instrument, master a movement or something that is. So Mm -hmm. that's why it's so important to put in your time into that training. And you want to be able to train as close as possible to the real thing. Uh, Right. So in the military, we use the term that says train like you fight. Right. Yeah. So, so basically we're talking about now it's getting even more and more real. Uh, We have uh, live um, ammo, right. Live ammo exercise. Um, we, we, we have, as you get to a certain level, everything is live. Everything is, we're training with real bullets going through it. We also have simunition, Mm -hmm. which is these kind of like, it's kind of like airsoft, but it's actually a real bullet with a plastic tip, which has a little bit of uh, powder in it. And then it kind of marks and you got to wear the gear and all that stuff. But then it actually, this is what it would feel like to be shot. And this is what it feels like under actual gunfire yeah and you know and we train as much as we can uh towards the real thing and um and that's that's kind of like as close as you can to being put into a stressful situation and the military's training once again the conditioning that we have is that you go through sleep deprivation you go through you know just eating maybe once a day or going on patrols for hours and then really pushing that body to find out you know what does it mean when david Doggins says when you think you're done you're only 40 percent done yeah it means that this guy has pushed himself when he thought he was done right Mm -hmm. and then after that he he found out that that he wasn't actually done which is what we realized and then after that he pushed further and that every time he was raising that bar and i wish um that the there was uh, opportunities like this in mm-hmm. uh, in the civilian world, which they are. There are actually, there are ways that you can push yourself and really face some really challenging times. That's why everybody was um, always captivated by a survivor or something like that, right? 
mm-hmm. the, the reality show. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Because then they saw people going without food, having to fight for their food, having to do these challenges that required you to think when you were tired and hungry and all these things. Yeah. This is what we're talking about. Fighting, getting as close as possible to the real thing. And I think it's very, very just in general for human psychology and the brain in order to kind of adapt. I don't think we, I think now as like the years have progressed and we've evolved in like technology and stuff, the world has kind of become way more ergonomic, which I, a friend of mine used to call it like a lazy, like a way to basically be like lazy, like high end laziness or something like that. Anyways, um that and that was the way you kind of looked at it right where the world's kind of becoming more and more like opposed to stress but everybody's getting stressed out a lot easier nowadays but we i find we have way less resources or it may seem like we have less ways to deal with it but it seems like everybody's stressed out over little things versus just nobody's calm anymore right like it seems to me just from what i'm seeing and like friends of mine and stuff just how bad little things affect people right and kind of just being able to switch it off and control it at least right it's tough and it is tough and then uh you know here's what we're going to say in psychology in behavioral psychology what Mm -hmm. we talk about is that the human brain the human behaviors will always always look for the path of least resistance yeah it's it's all it's a it's a it's a given listen i'm going to ask you if you could make a million dollars a year doing nothing would you do it oh probably yeah absolutely of course you would if you you know what we'll pay you a million dollars a year and i'm making the extremes here i'm going to a million dollars because that means a lot we're going to pay you a million dollars a year if you just stay at home and watch netflix Mm, i couldn't do it you and my my brain would go nuts But yeah, this is what mindset comes in. But here, let's take what happened over the last two years with COVID. Okay, right here in Canada, we're like a lot of people were offered when they locked everything down $2,000 a month. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you still today, some of those people hasn't gone back to work. No, oh, no, because they found the comfort zone of 2000 they can live at $2000 a month and they can stay home and mm-hmm. do those things and all that and that's not evil it's not bad oh, it's no. just the way that the brain is designed now if you are somebody to, that has flexed that brain and mm-hmm. changed their mindset and are seeking for self growth contribution going out there and being like you said like I can't stay home I can't stay yeah. home and, and I would watch drive myself crazy yeah Exactly, because you've conditioned yourself to enjoy movement, to enjoy being challenged, to find yeah. these things. And that has become your new normal. And that's why. Yeah, that has become your new normal. This is ah. what your habits, right? We are our habits. We yeah. do every day, right? So, um, you know, there is a quote out there that uh, um, it'll come to me, but it's basically how you do anything is how you do everything. Oh, yeah. Right. That's it. So yeah. if you're right, and then if we take COVID again, now people mm-hmm. have been faced with very stressful situation. Yeah. But the 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 difference in what we went through is that it wasn't a really a life or death situation. Right. As in you weren't faced with a big fearful monster or evil person, whatever. It was mm-hmm. this kind of like the unknown. And yeah. the, the, the freeze flight or fight 
can be triggered by just being hopeless and helpless and basically not knowing where what you're going to do the next day, which is what the pandemic has created. Right. Right. So people went into this mass hypnosis, this uh, mass formation there that they're talking about, where people, once again, if they let themselves, if they haven't trained their brain to think differently outside the box, will have to just for security itself, Mm -hmm. as a human being, as a mammal, right, as an animal, you will go and join a tribe for security, because that's what our brain has been trained for thousands of years. Yeah. For security. That makes sense. So they join either the vaccinated, not vaccinated, the informed, the not informed, and all these things. So when you see people picking sides, just kind of take a step back and look at what they're really looking for is security and certainty, right? Because certainty is a human need. Yeah. And what we have six human needs, which is certainty, variety, love and connection, yep. um, and um, significance. Then we have growth and contribution, which are needs of the spirit. But Uh, let's just take certainty, Mm -hmm. right? Certainty, uh, it could be achieved in any way. You could have, you have the people that the way that they find certainty because of their upbringing and everything is I'm going to find a job for the government and I'm going to get a paycheck no matter what for 30 years. I'm going to get a pension. I'm going to get benefits. I'm going to get everything. I do not need to go out there and fight for kind of like uh, my paycheck. Yeah. Right. That's looking for certainty. Guys like you and I, we find mm. that the certainty lies in our own hand to go out there and work for ourselves and being able oh, yeah. to do all that. Because our, my, I'm going to speak for myself, but my highest need is variety. I like to have different challenges, meeting different people and all these things. But here's another way that your audience can test themselves is that for certainty, if you want to know, is that we have we all have these six human needs and we're going to achieve them no matter what mm-hmm. now the, the the way to flex your brain is to actually put some conscious thoughts and action to achieving these needs under your own decision mm-hmm. so basically is this len are you an honest person i believe so yeah yeah if you would have said no you were still being honest so if you're an honest person <laughs> yeah have you ever told a lie oh yeah yeah. Ooh, ooh. Interesting. So you've yeah. told a lie, even though you're an honest person, you've told a lie. Now yeah, at man. that time, at that time, you were looking for certainty, whether you lied to your boss, whether you lied to your girlfriend, you lied to your parents, or you lied to your teacher, mm-hmm. you were looking for certainty. I, you didn't want to get that bad grade. You didn't want to lose your girlfriend or you didn't want to disappoint your parents. So you yeah. told a lie. And that was you filling a need of certainty. Oh, interesting. Right. So that's, this is what I'm talking about is that a lot of people are filling their needs on a daily basis automatically with whatever shows up to them. Right. And now is the time to really kind of start paying attention is how can I fill these needs consciously and, you know, with as much, kind of directive as I can, right? So if I need variety, you can get variety by changing jobs all the time. Mm -hmm. Or you can get variety by actually seeking to have different position within an organization or trying new things, right? Um, 
the thing is, is that if you really focus on growth and contribution, which is, I find that with the, some of my clients that I work at with that are at the age of 40 or 50, yeah, uh, a conversation comes up and they say, Bruno, I've, you know, I've done everything. I, you know, I went, I got the degree, I, I got the job, I got the house, I got the family, I got the whole thing on paper, I'm crushing it. But why mm-hmm. do I feel like I'm depressed or I'm not, I feel not so good. Yeah. And basically what, when we elicit the whole thing, we find that after university or after they've mastered their skill at work, they kind of stop learning and growing. Mm-hmm. They kind of stop enjoying things and they're doing a lot of things that they don't like and not enough of the things that they do like no no hobbies no stuff like that so their growth need mm-hmm. has been filled as being filled by other people well now you got to go on this course for a new system management system or we yeah. go on this thing instead of going on the course of learning uh, recce or yoga or whatever that is yeah and then contribution is the secret of living is giving so you learn new skills uh, and then you just give it away. You just like kind of like give it to your people you love and you get take part of your community and everything. Everybody's kind of staying home now. Yeah. And they're not getting their spirit elevate, elevated. So that's when uh, it's important to kind of contribute. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Wow. I think it's come down to when I hear that kind of come up in conversation, a lot of people talk about like the money, the old thing of money and happiness. And it's like, that's because you're not donating any of your money or that's because you're not giving any of it away. And I'm like, Oh, interesting. That's cool. That it's a psychological thing that we actually like, it's ingrained in us to do that. That that makes a lot of sense why the depression seems to be a lot more in the last couple of years, because we've been very reserved and it's a lot tougher to go to to go to those ends to meet just to get people kind of feeling good and contributing, right? It's a lot harder to do that than it was five years ago, but it seems to be getting better, but time will tell for sure with that stuff. Time will tell. And, and, and you're absolutely right. Right. So that whether it is money, uh, whether it is uh, your time, whether it is of a skill that you have uh, Mm -hmm. contributing to giving the the secret of living is giving to giving it away without expecting anything in return does something to your soul. It does. And, you know, and I had a problem. I had an issue around money because I was raised of money. Don't grow on trees. uh, It's hard to come by and all these things. And I needed to change that mindset as I was going into entrepreneurship. And, the best quote that actually kind of switched kind of things around for me mm-hmm. was that I was, I want to be so financially abundant that God chooses my pockets to bless others. Wow. Right. Well said. So then yeah. It's not about just being rich. Mm-hmm. It's about actually God uses my pockets to bless others. So once again, it's about this contribution. So now that I'm just a filter for yeah. that abundance to help the you know the people that are are struggling or have a hard time Jeez. so how do you manage to balance the the variety that you need if that makes sense so, yeah 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 to balance so, the variety that yeah. you need of course yeah yeah Epic. <laughs> because Epic. you know variety can show up into your relationships it yeah can show up into your your work Um, Mm -hmm. All of them are relationships, by the way. So it's very good to use that because it's a relationship Mm -hmm. with your work. It's a relationship with your family. It's a relationship with, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people kind of like 
juggle hobbies. They kind of like these, you know, they kind of, some people love to travel, uh, yeah. all these things. The important thing is to actually be conscious of them and kind of recognizing behaviors and patterns that you have. This is starts right there, mm-hmm. right? So the, the first thing is to recognize the behavior, then to stop the behavior, and then to implant a new behavior, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you don't exchange something for something, it's not going to happen. And here's what I'm going to tell you, whether that any behavior, and that's from a neuro-linguistic programming, is that behind every single behavior, there's a positive intention. Right. And you can test that. A lot of people have come back to me and says, oh, what about smoking? Okay, right? That's not a good behavior, Bruno. I says, you're absolutely right. Now we know that smoking is not healthy for you and everything. Yeah. But here's what it does. If you ask a smoker and you actually break it down, the first thing they do they take time for themselves away from their desk or whatever that is. Mm. That's the first thing. Yeah. Then the second thing they do is they go outside, they gather their thoughts. And what's the first thing they do once they light up, they take a deep breath in and a yeah. cleansing exhales. Ah, that's the first one they go and they go, Oh yeah, man, now I feel better. Right. And then they take some Interesting. deep and they regulate their breathing which now we know that you can achieve breath work. Yeah. So now you can actually relook at the behavior. I'm not saying to go out and smoking, but if you're looking at stopping smoking, start looking to breath work. Interesting. Start looking about stepping away from your desk or whatever it is, your position in your career for about, you know, a couple of times a day for about 15 to 20 minutes, Mm -hmm. go over and take time for yourself and then start working on different breath work alternating nostrils the box breathing whatever that is or you know there's the wave breathing there's the the ocean shores there's a whole bunch of them they're out there there's like thousands of them oh yeah basically that's just what people are looking for interesting so i kind of want to bring it back so that we can transition out of this uh out of the military stage of your life if you don't mind but what is a misconception that people have about Afghanistan. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I was holding on to that because every time I read about it, I just, I'm like, ah, oh, it seems like there's this one image and it's all just highlights of the news about all bad. So I'm wondering from somebody who's been there a handful of times, if there's any uh, misconceptions. Um, the that, misconception uh, that people have, I'm, I'm going to get real here. And amazing. <laughs> some people might not be happy about this, but here's what I'm going to tell you. First of all, um, Afghanistan was a proxy war. Uh, there was no, no bad people hiding in Afghanistan. Um, the reason why Afghanistan has always been, it's called, actually, if you do read about a history, is that it's, it's the swallower of empires. A lot of empires has tried to conquer Afghanistan, starting from Britain to, to UK to Russia to America and you know, all these things. It's never been done. The hmm. people of Afghanistan, first of all, are beautiful people. Mm-hmm. The country is beautiful, even though that it's been destroyed by decades and if not centuries of war. Uh, the people are extreme welcoming. They're very patient. They're just looking at living their daily life, just like us, taking care of their family, going to work, having a, somewhat of a normal life. The, every time we went on patrol, they invited us inside to have naan bread and tea and all these things. Wow. And, um, and basically... Um, like anything else, whether now that I'm out of the military, I've done my, 
my healing and my uh, spiritual journey is understanding that these wars are created by other elites and they just they just don't want to fight in their own country they just go over there and unfortunately afghanistan has a lot of resource a lot yeah. of resources whether that be the cadmium down in the north the, the the minerals that they have the heroin trade there's a lot of poppy over there that yeah. comes from there isn't that when the, the taliban one? got in i'm going to tell you this yeah sorry oh okay we're good go we're ahead. back okay yeah so um so when actually in the 90s i believe when um the taliban took over the power they started destroying all the poppy fields and uh the, they're the biggest producers of poppies of heroin in the world mm -hmm. and basically it kind of set the whole entire drug world upside down and yeah. which actually a lot of countries system operates on the fight against war and then these system got upside down so i'm going to tell you that is also a cause of sending troops over there because once they send troops over there that that market kind of reinvigorated even though they were saying we were destroying yeah. some of the poppy fields over there i'm going to tell you that that was a, also a case there's a lot of resources in afghanistan so the misconception is that there was bad people over there that this country is um, is uh, is yeah is is not a good country, and that's not true. That is the misconception. It's one of those ones that the videos that I see are. It all seems bad, but the one or two or the stories that I hear from people who've been there, like it's. Well, in this case, you right? It's this is just incredible, and it makes you want to like visit it. But at the same time, I'm I don't think it's a tourist destination. At the same not time, at this right? moment no but oh, i no. highly recommend your audience to do yeah. some research historical research on on afghanistan and in the 60s and 70s they were top leading in fashion they were they was uh, they were on the silk road right Jeez, they, yeah. um, if you go there's a big stadium with the olympic rings they were actually going to bid for the olympics um the minute that all that started going aside was when they um they banished the shah Mm. And they got rid of their royalty and all this thing. And then they started to take a, a dump because they wanted to run. Russia wanted to run a pipeline through it. They wanted to get some of the resource. The Americans started saying, no, we don't want you to have, to have that. And this Cold War business. And it destroyed Afghanistan. It was a beautiful country. It's, it's a beautiful country. Yeah. That's really cool. That's good to know that it's kind of, yeah, now's not a good time maybe to visit, but that it is something worth seeing. So taking us kind of through the transition then, what was your process like leaving the military into the business world and becoming an entrepreneur? Like, what was that like? Wow. Yeah. So um, basically, um, the decision to leave the military was made for me. Uh, when I came back from my second tour, uh, not long after that, maybe six months after that, I started exhibiting symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. Because here's what I'm going to tell you. Nothing we did over there was normal. Yeah. So it is, say. is it, and then your body and your brain and your, your, your psyche and your soul go like what we saw was not normal. We need to be able to process this. And that's mm -hmm. when post-traumatic stress starts showing up and anxiety and depression and the nightmares and the, the, you know, everything starts to play games on you. And you start to realize, I think things are not okay. 
So um, I reached out to the mechanical system of the military. Uh, they took extremely well good care of, my son, of me. And then uh, they diagnosed me with post-traumatic stress disorder. And uh, this, at that moment, while you were, if you were no longer deployable, you were no longer employable. So they would release you uh. from the Canadian Armed Forces. So I did release. Uh, it was a very, very hard transitioning. Yeah. Um, just a simple fact of I was injured. But on top of that is that if you've decided voluntarily, by that matter, so I want to make sure that everybody's clear, I actually voluntarily signed on the dotted line to be put myself to be subjected to these things and also to the training, is that when you come out, the world is not the same when you come out of the military. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you're in the military, you're told what to wear, when to show up, what to do. There's always directive and guidance and everything in yeah. the team. And you speak a certain language and you do things a certain way. When you come out of the military, you come in into this world of everybody's doing their, their thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even though you work on teams, there's, you know, everybody's kind of an individual on that team. And um, things, you know, what we think like, Here's are some of the things that I've heard from organizations that I work with um, that I'd never experienced working with veteran is that, you know, I'd showed up on time, uh, you know, I was uh, turned out and I was, you know, staying up late and doing these things to be able. And then they said, Bruno, where have you been? Like, how can you do this? And me, I was believing that I was giving even on because I was injured, yeah. I was giving maybe a 50 or a 60 percent. And they were like, oh, my God, like you're 150 percent. You're like all yeah. these things. It's just a different mindset. And also understanding that the language is different. The way that we see things is different. When I opened my first business, like before I opened my gym, mm -hmm. um, I was actually, I applied for the police force. And when you, you, you're through the application, the, 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 the whole thing, you actually have to go on ride-alongs and go for interviews and do these things. And I would show up 20 minutes early. Mm -hmm. And I would show up to the front desk and I'd say, hey, I'm here for the ride along. And the guys and ladies would go, uh, yeah, but that's not until six. You're here 20 minutes early. To me, in the military, we have a saying that if you're not there 15 minutes early, you're late. Huh. Right? So yeah. The, I was shocked by them saying they didn't know what to do with me. Because usually people either show up on time or late. Yeah. And I weird. noticed that in, in my business when I was a, a trainer – that, you know, people had an appointment at two o'clock, three o'clock, four o'clock, five o'clock, they'd show up at 4.15 and they'd be okay. I used to take that so hard. Yeah, I bet. Because <laughs> it was, yes. I, I actually, at that time, took it as a disrespect. You're not respecting my time. Yeah, even though for that sure. It was their time. Yeah. Right. So, and then I noticed to slowly adjust with the flow of how certain i'm not saying that everybody's like that obviously right. there are some people that are really on time and everything but i found that there is this ease of flow through the corporate industry of people showing up at meetings whenever kind of like coming on and you know it's kind of like this flow which you know in the tech world you'll see they just they're just really concerned about the output like if we say that you're going to be there uh you know and this is what your part is and then as long as that shows up on the deadline we're good to go mm -hmm. and then people are kind of like so i had to adjust for that i had to adjust with the fact of when am i gonna wear for 15 years i wore a uniform and then on the weekends i'd wear just like workout clothes or whatever right yeah. and now you know when i when my gym kind of career was done after five years i started becoming a 
a speaker and a coach and I train as an executive coach and I train as a neurolinguistic uh, practitioner, master practitioner. And I followed, you know, the Gary Vaynerchuk's and the Tony Robbins and I went and worked and did some stuff with them and all these things. And then uh, I kind of started understanding where my skills of the military, the structure, the disciplines, the, the drive and all these things would kind of join up with the corporate world. And that kind of got me to really enjoy building teams. Like at Lululemon, you know, when somebody hires an ex-soldier to go and, you know, and train people that are usually, you know, in the, the loving and hugging trees and, you know, doing yoga and meditating <laughs> and all these things. Yeah. Um, I actually did, did awesome with them because I understood where they were coming from. And then what I was bringing in was a little bit more structure and understanding about the, the, the drive and the purpose that they had, right? You're not just somebody that works at Lululemon that sells yoga pants. You actually yeah. have a, a role to play within the organization. So, um, so it was really, really kind of like a, a, a challenging transition. Not only did I have to heal myself from the post-traumatic stress, but also to find my place within this world, which was very challenging. And as we know, if we seek growth and contribution, then um, that kind of pays off. Now, I can imagine it was this was after you got out of the military, correct? But the North Pole expedition. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. How does where does that fit in? That was post military career, correct? That is post military career. They were taking. Um, 12 ill and injured soldiers to the Northern Circle, to the North Pole, the 1996 Magnetic North Pole, which is in Canada. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. So, so they took wow. that. So that showed up in uh, April, May. Actually, this is what it is, uh, 2014. So it's been 12 years. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, basically, uh, somebody that I had met, an, a retired general, Michel Maisonneuve, um, I had met through, you know, doing some talks and um, helping veterans around and all these things. And he says, Bruno, we're looking for veterans to go to the North Pole. Uh, would you like to go? And I had just finished reading a book by Sir Richard Branson. And in there, it says, if opportunity shows up, say yes and figure out how to do it later. Amazing. And so I said yes on the spot. And I had just been to, I think it was, I, I only had opened my gym, like, I didn't have staff. I didn't have anything. It's a brand new gym. And I was like, how am I going to make this happen? Mm -hmm. And this is what I, I really want to emphasize is that if you really want something and the opportunity shows up and you said, yes, people will show up to help you if it's meant to be for you. And the community rose up, my people that, you know, work, my clients and everything yeah. will open the gym. My, um, the person that I was renting the space, my friend, Stacy, she says, you know what, we'll use my coaches to coach your class. If you give us the training, nice. all these things kind of like lined up. And then I went to the North pole and basically that was an incredible experience. Uh, going to the North pole is a beautiful thing. First of all, if you ever have a chance to go to the North of Canada, it's mm -hmm. pristine it's beautiful. It's um, there's no pollution. There's no, there's no noise. It's like a noise vacuum. The only thing you hear is the cracking of the snow and your own breath wow. as you're, you're walking. Cause there's no cars, there's no plane, there's no trees, there's no yeah. nothing. There's no infrastructure, right? And uh, jeez, Yeah. 
And if people want to see it, it was filmed and they made a documentary. It's called March to the Pole and it's on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they can see this, and then you can see me in there crying and losing my shit. But that's all right. <laughs> and um, it was a it was a life changing experience, and that's when I started meeting business leaders, mm-hmm. uh, because those business leaders are the ones that uh, kind of raised the funds and kind of went with True Patriot Love Foundation to make sure that the, they could bring those veterans, all of us, to the North Pole, and and experience that. So um, so it's pretty pretty amazing expedition. I learned a lot. And that's when I started taking on the, the executive coaching and understanding about how the corporate world works. So it was really eye opening for these things. What do you have any advice for maybe for or that you give maybe or advice in general for veterans in that position kind of post military leaving aren't sure how, what's the best advice to break into the corporate world? It could be for veterans or anybody really. Um, yeah, you know what, this is the advice that I give for anybody that wants to kind of like, really become conscious about operating in this reality in this world. Mm-hmm. And it's because you can either be at cause or at effect. What is it? Why do I mean by that? You can either have life happen to you, or you can make life happen for you. Huh. Which one do you want? Right? So what's yeah. the difference when life happens to you? You basically, you know, you say, okay, your parents say, hey, you should go and become an architect. So right. you go to school and you become an architect and then you, somebody comes up and says, you just finished, so we'll give you a job. And then they go into the job and basically things kind of fall onto them. And, you know, and then, oh, this happens with them and the car, they, you know, they're not really at cause. Right. So basically now making life happen for you is that at every step of the way, you're making a decision into the direction that you want to go. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say the three questions that I ask in any situation. And they're very simple question. Yet, if you actually go in depth with them, you'll find that they're very, very powerful. Okay. And the first one is, what do you want? Yeah, simple, but like, there's a lot more to it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, oh, yeah. Go, a perfect example of staying Jeez. at the surface of this was that, what do you want? I just want to be happy. Well, ha- mm-hmm. happy is subjective. What oh, yeah. does happy look for look like for Glenn? Right. Right. What, what, you know what I'm saying? And, and I'm taking a very general term here, happy. But if you say, I really want to do something that's going to challenge me, that's one of going to these things, I'm thinking about taking, you know, a course in so and so. Right. Right. And then at, the more you get in depth and the more clarity you get on what it is that you want then you'll get, you'll get to a certain point of clarity. Does that make yeah. sense? Like actually Absolutely. ask that question. What do you want? The second question is, what do you need? Because mm. want and needs are two different things. Very, talk yeah. About, talk about these things, but it could be, what do you need to make your want happen? What do you need to go throughout uh, your day? Who do you need? Right? Mm, On your that's team a big one. To make, Right. Everybody's looking at Mark Zuckerberg and all these great guys. But now if you actually go in depth with them, they're going to tell you, I didn't make it up here alone. I needed a team. So, you know, what do you want? Who do you need? What do you need? That's the second. Right. So basically, how are we going to measure that you're going in the right direction? And the best example that I have is that, you know, every day you got to do a two millimeter shift is that a, a plane leaving New York to L.A., doesn't fly in a straight line. Oh, no. Right? 
<clears throat> they're constantly adjusting, adjusting course. But yeah. how do they know which way to adjust? Is because they're constantly measuring the dials of everything that's happening. Mm-hmm. They're not just going, I'm going to go in the air and I'm going to point towards LA and I'm going to go that way. So it's the same thing for your life. If you got to, you know, if you're conscious about where you're going forward, you know what you want, you know what you need, and mm-hmm. you know how to measure it, you're going to be in a better position to be once again consciously making the moves of having life happen yeah. towards your goals. Interesting. And you're still going to have things comes at you sideways, things that yeah. you can't plan for. Always. Things, what we call the landmines, right? And then so how do you, this is when we go back to the training, right? You're yeah. going to fall back to the level of your training. And if you're conscious ah. all the time and you're aware of your abilities and your skill, then mm-hmm. you can sidestep some stuff and you can react to somebody throwing you a curveball yeah. because all of your other affairs are in order. If you're letting life happen to you, then, you know, you're, you're working at a job, you're studying for the other things and all these things. And then your plate becomes very, very full. And now these curveballs are coming at you. And that's where people start burning out and they start breaking down is because they got too much that is disorganized. Interesting. They're just, life is happening to them and they're just catching every, every ball and all these things where they don't know where to put them. Hmm. Does that make sense? It does. It does for sure, right? Being able to kind of understand, it seems simple. Like it does seem like a very simple, not easy, because simple and easy are very different. I think a lot of people get those convoluted, but it sounds very simple. Like, oh, it's this or that. But then the actual implementation of the strategies is a lot more thought out and sought after than it is just A plus B, one plus two equals four now. So, right. It's trying to understand how to connect the dots for your own life, especially when we're our worst critic. So it makes it a bit harder because not many people, and I'm guilty of this myself, Bruno is um, like the ability to kind of be critical on myself and actually solve my own problems. Like I had a friend of mine tell me, he's like, dude, you, you're very good at helping other people solve their problems. But when it comes to your problems, like you kind of, this is where I come in. I was like, ah, hey, you know, that's why, that's why we're good friends, buddy. But anyways, yeah, it's, it's finding those people and having that figuring your own stuff out is very simple, but and, tough. You know, there's so many quotes out there that people are throwing, throwing around that they yeah. become kind of, they don't have any weight now, right? They say that you're the five people, the result of the five people you hang out with. Right. Oh, yeah. So, and then if you want to bring that to even test that to a higher level, you take the five people's salaries, each of them, you do the average of it, and that'll be your salary. Wow. That's ex- exactly what you're making right there. So, but once again, it's about being conscious of who you are and going up out there and making things happen for you. And mm-hmm. like you said, connecting the dots, Steve Jobs said a really good thing He's in an address. He says, you can only connect the dots looking backwards, right? Uh. But the people aren't taking that time everybody's on a knee-jerk reaction you got to go and fight and go out there and crush it every day yeah. and, you know and all these things and then stop i'm at that point in my life where i'm like doing by not doing and become an observer yeah and actually start at looking at things is this you know they said is are you going to mind about this in five years you're actually going to break it down to even closer than this is this going to keep me in the direction of where i'm going to be or is this a shiny penny a distraction that's going to take me off course 
which, you know, we're always subjected to in today's marketing world yeah. where you're constantly bombarded by distraction of the new shiny thing. And, and, and if you're not, once again, if you don't train yourself to be conscious of where your where focus goes, energy flows. So if you're constantly Instagramming and looking at other people's thing, you know, comparison is the thief of joy, then you're Ooh, always yeah. going to feel like you're short. You're always falling short while the whole time you, this person is working with a different answer sheet. And that's not even your purpose. You're not, right. You're, you're, but that looks cool. I want to be an influencer and influence people. You can, you can do that. Just do it with your gifts and your skills. So speaking of purpose, tell us about behind us. Tell us a bit about behind more um, this uh, slick t-shirt you got going on. Tell us, tell us about purpose a little bit. Tell us about what that's, uh, what that's all about for those of you, uh, us who don't know, or those of you who don't know, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Purpose is actually your why. Mm -hmm. it's basically this right it's the drive right it, in the military we have a thing no matter what you do in the military do it with purpose as basically it's it's you know it's murphy's law it's basically right. do it you know like with intention if you look like you're somebody that's going somewhere it's gonna kind of help you right mm -hmm. um purpose is your compass purpose is this is why i'm doing everything that i do right remember i said how you do anything is how you do everything yeah and, um, and this t-shirt that I have is from a, a company that I consult for, um, and they're, they're a really good company that's helped veterans. And, um, and then I had these t-shirts, and I loved it, and I, I wear it all the time because it reminds me, right? Because mm -hmm. the, I'm, I'm the one operating in this. There's, on this planet, there's 7 billion different reality. My reality is driven by my purpose. Right. And I'm going to tell you, at 48 years old, my purpose constantly evolves, even though it's the kind of same direction I'm into healing now and kind of, like, yeah. you know, helping people figure them, them themselves out. But it's the, you know, there's a book out there called the purpose driven life. It is a little bit, you know, based on, on religion and everything, but even if you're not within the religion, I've read it and it was, it was incredible. And it's, mm -hmm. it, it means so much purpose is what gets you to keep going basically. Yeah. A lot of people, you know, that's where the resilience is going to jump in and everything. If your purpose is big enough, you've heard it before. If people have a big enough why, the how will come true, right? They'll just, mm -hmm. any how will work if they have a big enough why. Is when they don't have a big enough why, then they just, once again, follow the path of least resistance and say, yeah, I'm, I'm all right. I got a house. I got a car. Yeah. I got a job. I got a, you know, I got every, I'm okay. Right. Interesting. And some people are all right with that. Some yeah. People are, are, are not. And so it depends on your purpose. It depends on how much time you spent on asking yourself, what do I really want? And I don't think that gets asked enough. No, it's not, not at all. Right. And I think as I've kind of grown and gone through stuff and looked, the older I get, the more I do that. But then there's almost that little bit of doing at what point do you go? oh, crap, I've reached that point of no return where you almost can't flip the switch, right? And, oh, my purpose, I should have figured that out years ago, or I wish I figured that out years no. ago. I think no? that's a myth. That's a myth. That's a myth. There's no Inter such thing. There's, there's, there's no, here's what I'm going to tell you. There's no point of no return. Mm -hmm. Unless you obviously have a, a terminal illness or right. something like that. And even now with that, there's alternative medicines are coming in, right? Mm -hmm. 
and, and people that kind of waking up. Uh, so, but the thing is, is that there's no such thing. There's tons of stories out there of people that have found their purpose at 40, 50, 60, 70 years old and actually put that into, into action. There is, there's tons. A simple search will get you to find people that, and that's what it is. There's no such thing as a point of no return. This is what actually um, creates so much illness and depression and, and suicide, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, if we're going to be real about here is then when people think they have zero purpose, so they can't, uh, everything's too far gone. I'm going to tell you mm-hmm. that is an absolute lie. That is an absolute lie. We've seen it. They make movies about that stuff, about mm-hmm. people that were criminal that turned their lives around. Yeah. So listen, if people can do that with doing the most atrocious things and turn their lives around, you, you know, no matter what you're going through, you can turn your life around and find your purpose. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, like I said, purpose evolves, purpose change, purpose. There's growth there. If you're constantly seeking into bettering yourself and finding the best version of yourself, mm-hmm. then the purpose will, will show up. If you ask the right question, I'll say this. The quality of our lives are directly related to the quality of the questions that we ask of ourselves and of others. So ask better questions. Amazing. Yeah, wow. Well said. And I don't, yeah, like I said, I don't think that, I don't think that's done enough. And I, and that could be like just a, a nature of not so much the group of people I hang out with, because I think they're pretty good, but I think in general of people, my age guys, and they're like guys, girls in their 20 somethings and mainly a bit of the audience as well. That's kind of what I feel the struggle is. Right. And it's finding that purpose, being able to ask those questions because it boils down to how do you find it? How do you discover it? Right. And, and listen, yeah. at 20, 30 years old, you know, you're, you, I wasn't asking those questions. I wasn't asking those questions. It's something right. that you, you basically need to fall on your face, eat a little bit of dirt. And then you go, wait a minute. <laughs> these, these challenges are kind of getting tough. Why is that? Well, it's because I was letting life happen to me and everything. And when we talk about hanging out with the five people, don't get me wrong. You have different circles people that you're just buddies with and then you have a good time. That's important. You right. can't always be going out there and meeting I alpha mentality people that are constantly crushing it. Like this mm-hmm. is just, it's not sustainable. What I'm talking about is be conscious of yeah. who you're giving your energy to. And is there, when you're in your group, yeah. are you, the rock says it, if you're the smartest, strongest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Interesting. Right? Yeah. But once again, it depends on what it is that you're doing, who you are, and all these things. I have groups where, you know, I am a coach. Mm -hmm. I was a fitness coach, but now I'm an executive coach. I'm a catalyst coach. I am a healer. I help people. So in certain group, I am the leader. But then I also get and seek groups that are... Uh, that I'm not, I'm, I'm actually the follower because I want to learn what they're doing. I want to improve. I want to grow and I want to be with the best. So yeah. you can have different kind of circles. It's mm-hmm. just that sometimes I'll take the veterans. Sometimes the veterans hang out with other veterans and they're all injured and they're all in kind of the same mindset. 
yeah. you know, being disappointed by the government or Veterans Affairs or their lives are falling apart. And nobody in there is taking charge of saying, well, we've got to find a way to get better. So they just go to Tim Hortons, have coffees every day and complain and bitch about everything that's not working. Yeah. I broke off from there and I went to Tony Robbins and I flew around the world with them and I went to seminars and I met other people that were seeking uh, betterment. They were seeking better versions of themselves and everything. And then I came back to the veteran world and started implementing that in the veteran world. And then I, I got away and I went and got my master practitioner in linguistic programming. Then I came mm-hmm. back. And then now I'm seeking a certification in the science of psychedelics for healing. Mm-hmm. And then I came back. And it, so it's about really being conscious and being aware of your thought process, of your behaviors, of your pattern. And it's easy to listen to a podcast and, and, you know, your audience at 20 or 30 years old or whatever, yeah. they're getting that and they're saying, like Glenn, Bruno, this, oh my God, this is overwhelming. Yeah, you are, you are correct. You're not making this up. You're dishing out. We have an hour or so to dish out yeah. this information of 48 years here. So be patient and gentle with yourself and start huh. by picking something that you want to work on. Right. Mm-hmm. So whether that be, you know, think about it, Glenn, you, you, you know, at 20 years old, you say, okay, today we're going to find out what your life purpose is. It's a lot. That's a lot, <laughs> dude. <laughs> I'm going to tell you if you are 20 or 30 years old, it's not something you should focus on. You should actually go out there and try tons of things. You should go out there and try different sports, different food, different countries, different languages. Different. Go out there and meet different people. The homeless person to the CEOs, to the janitor, to the subway person, to the corporate uh, you know, executive, to whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Immerse yourself. Get outside your comfort zone. Immerse yourself in different things so that you can understand and have a, a little taste of what's out there. Because once again, if not, somebody might make that decision for you. Usually parents, family members, career counselors, teachers, professors, which are all, once again, good yeah. intention. They, right. they really want the best for you, but yeah. that's their projection that what they think would be the best for you. Mm-hmm. The real judge is you. You know what's, what's going to be best for you. Right. Oh, for sure. And I think... Yeah, I think that's a huge thing. I think there's a lot of pressure put on men and women my age to find that. And that might focus in with the mental health aspect of like people my age and stuff and the audience being like 18, 16 to like 35, 37, whatever is, yeah, there's a lot of stress to find that. And we feel if we don't at this time, it gets missed. So when you're saying the opposite, it kind of takes... I'm like inside. I'm like taking a deep breath. I'm like relaxing a bit more like, Oh, what's the rush, man. So, and that, that kind of attitude, I think is very, very beneficial to have, right. You just have patience. You can enjoy the ride a bit more. Right. Absolutely. And I'm going to tell you, there is very, very smaller percentage of people at 20 years old that are really know exactly what they want to do. And we're talking Mm -hmm. about the people that go into, I want to be a doctor and they skyrocket to it. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be, you know, this, and they skyrocket. And you know yeah. who those people are. Oh, yeah. But the rest of the people, the 98%, including myself, when I was going into high school and all these things, yeah. I didn't know what I was going to do, right? I didn't right. know. And, and you're out there to experience and love life and all these things. 
I'm going to tell you, I've changed my parenting ways with my son who's 16 now because I was finding myself repeating what my parents were doing, the projecting of. By 16, I was working for three years and you need a job for the summer and you do these things. And I realized as a dude, life's going to happen so fast and get serious so quick. Yeah. Enjoy your teenage years. Interesting. Just chill. Do what you got to do. Go out there. Take courses and everything. Now, remember, behind every behavior, there's a positive intention. So your parents are going to say, hey, man, you should go back. To, you should go to university. You should go these things. And they're well-intentioned. Let me tell you a little story about a CEO who's going to be about, he was, he's about to be probably close to being a billionaire. So he's a millionaire, young guy, he's 50 now and all nice. these things. And we were, we're friends and we were having a discussion over breakfast and I could feel that something was off because he wasn't, he wasn't really focused. He was kind of somewhere else. And, uh, and I asked him, I said, Hey, what's going on? And he says, Oh, you know, life. And I said, well, <laughs> why don't you? Why don't you share with me about yeah. life, what's going on? Yeah. And uh, basically he says, well, uh, Bruno, I'm kind of, I'm kind of depressed. I'm kind of not feeling so good and mm-hmm. anxious and all these things. And I said, why do you think that is? Well, you know, um, my wife now wants me to kind of start slowing down and become a mentor and kind of walk away from the business and let it run. And then my kids are out of the house and I'm, I'm you know, I, on paper, once again, I'll bring that back. It says, you know, I went to school and I got the degree. I started the business and I, I've achieved everything that I needed to achieve. And, and now I'm kind of, I'm kind of depressed. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, wow. Why do you think that you're depressed? And he says, and this is what I want you to pay attention to language. Mm-hmm. He said, well, I've done everything everybody told me what to do. Like I've, I've done everything I was told to do to achieve success and everything. Yeah. But I'm just depressed. Huh. And I'm like, huh, say that again. I've done everything I was told to do. And now I'm depressed. Ah. And I was like, huh, is that mm-hmm. what you wanted to do? And then he sat back in his chair. He goes, what? I said, they didn't lead you wrong. (laughs) You're a multimillionaire. You're actually, according to this world, you're very successful. It's working out for you. Yeah. It's working out for you. So they didn't steer you wrong. But let me ask you a question and take the time to answer it. Is that what you wanted to do? Mm -hmm. And he answered, no, it's not. Dude. So. It's an intense I realized coffee. at that time, even though that it was, you know, me kind of coaching and everything, yeah. I, I realized at that time, I said, how much of my life is projection from my family, teachers, people that are well-intentioned, that is mm. not even mine. Yeah. So once again, to your audience, start asking the right questions to yourself. Yeah. What is it that I really want to do in life? And if you don't know that's okay. That's actually a right spot to be at because the world is your oyster. Yeah. Just pr- allows you more options, more things to do. Jeez. And it will elevate the stress of, yeah. I got to find the career. I got to get a degree. I got to listen, go travel, which is what I love about the young generation. 
Mm-hmm. Right? I, I was having discussions before COVID with CEOs of saying, these kids, they want to travel and not work and all these things. And I'm like, yeah, because they're realizing that who wants to work for a corporation for 30 years in a cubicle from nine to five yeah, and then get only like five to 10 years to enjoy what you've built. They want to enjoy it now. And COVID has pushed that right up to the front that now people want to work virtually and they yeah. don't want to go to that. Right. But what, what's missing is I think there should be this hybrid world because you still need the social connection at work. Because yeah. now if your only interaction is opening up a Zoom screen, you're not exchanging that energy. You're not doing the small talk. It's all business. Yeah. And it's important within your day, that's science, scientifically been proven, that you need that social interaction with people. Yeah, hey, huge. Mary, how, how are the kids? Hey, Bob, what's that, what do you do on the weekend? Yeah, It's cooler, water cooler talk, but mm-hmm. that makes the socialization that significance that love and connection those two needs remember yeah that's what fills those up interesting man wow do you have a favorite kind of career moment from coaching so far and being a consultant do you have one that's so far that's kind of like your top favorite oh, moment steps out um my favorite one was uh definitely uh lemon uh, you know, working with that team, I've learned a lot about myself. I've learned about them. They actually crushed it. It was amazing. Um, then, uh, you know what? Um, I, w- I really enjoy working with teams, with the people on the front line and all these things. These are more getting down in the trenches, let's just say. Um, I really enjoy this. And here's what I'm going to tell you. I actually enjoy all the moments where actually as I'm coaching, as we're doing serving them yeah i learn about myself on a deeper level this is the beauty of it is that um uh, any coach that's out there any coach that's worth their their weight is going to tell you that they're the beauty of coaching executive coaching or uh, you, every type of coaching that's out there is that you're actually contributing and you're giving and you're growing Mm -hmm. and everything, but you're also learning so much about yourself by interacting with other people because the people you interact, interact with in your life are basically holding a mirror. Yeah. This is what it is. They're holding a mirror and what you don't like in somebody else. It's something you don't like in yourself. What you like in somebody else is actually something you like about yourself. This is, we're going deep into psychology here. Yeah. Wow. And so, um, and also, if people are out there looking for coaches, one of the first question, if not the first question or some of the most important question would be to ask your coach if they have a coach. Ooh. Okay. Interesting. I'm giving yeah. you a little bit of a secret here. If your coach says, oh, no, I don't have a coach, it might not be the best coach because that means that yeah. they're selling you a product that they're not using themselves. So I have a coach. I've had always a coach yeah. and it, the coaches change because they're working on different areas of your life. You know, could be a business coach, could be intuitive coach, could be a performance coach, could be a catalyst coach or healing coach, whatever that is, mm-hmm. a relationship coach or, you know, or something like that. But once again, ask better questions. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So as we kind of wrap up do you have a like final message or piece of advice or strategy that you'd like to share with the audience 
Um, wow. I, I have so many, but for your audience, I think, you know what, the, the best one at where I am today in my life is mm. one is really spend some time with yourself. We're constantly distracted, distracted yeah. with our phone, with Netflix, with music, with whatever, whatever everybody else is doing, because we were programmed to think we're going to miss out. And I found Lately, this is the journey that I've been on. I found so much more about the world that we live in, the behaviors, patterns, and quality of humanity by spending mm -hmm. time with myself. It was also the most challenging thing I've ever done. Wow. Spending time with yourself and really having these discussions. And once you have these discussion with yourself about, you know, what's important to you, what are yeah. all these things? And once again, the audience is listening to this. This should be a little bit an overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Just start spending some time with yourself. And actually, you're going to find out that there's things that are going to come up and mm -hmm. observe those without judgment and start kind of being gentle with yourself and being because as a coach, somebody come, would come up with some problems that I was facing and I was mm -hmm. gentle with them and I would ask the right question and I would guide them and get them to elicit what, what their needs and how they would resolve that issue, yeah. let's just say. But then I would have the same issue and I would be very harsh with myself. Come on, man, you know better. Uh, da, 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 da. And I would do like this narrative that goes on into our head that we think is coming from somewhere else or it's not us and then when you do yeah. kind of start turning the volume down you're going to see oh my god i have multiple personalities <laughs> yeah. i do and it's not a bad thing a lot of people say oh if you in the dsm-5 for psychology and all that they say multiple this person suffers from multiple personality let me let you in on a on a secret we all do right yeah. Let me prove it to you. Man, sure. I'm going to prove it. We can close it at there. I said, are you the same person you are on your podcast that you are with your brother, sister, or your family? Probably no. not. No. Are you the same person that you are with me that you are with your close friends? Yeah, I think so. Here and there. Yeah. Some more so, some no. Yeah. Right. Are you the same person you are with your girlfriend or boyfriend or significant other than you are with your mom, let's just say? Oh, God, no. Now, are you the same person with your mom that you are with somebody at work? No. These are all personalities you've created to be able to fit the world that's outside your door. Wow. That's the mask we wear. That's intense. Right? Jeez, that's profound. So, wow. So the secret is <laughs> to live in authenticity, to show up as who you truly are and for the world to accept that. But what has been going on through generation is that you needed to fit the world that's outside your door. And which has Whoa. done is that people shows up with a certain mask on and going like, this is what it is. And now what's coming up with, you know, the politicians and the stars and everything is that things are coming up to the surface, to the light. And now mm -hmm. people, a lot of shame and guilt and all these things. And we see that in the, let's just say the celebrity world saying like, Oh, this person on screen is super, super nice, but behind closed door, they're not a nice person. Mm -hmm. We've heard that so many times. Oh, yeah. And that's because they have different personalities out there to be able to go on with everyday life. Yeah. So 
If you're a young person that's going through high school, that's going through college or university, you're listening to this or you're just entering the corporate world, spend time with yourself. Because the person who knows exactly who they are, they're fully aware and conscious of their abilities, of their direction, of how they can handle things coming at them, is the most powerful person in the room. Amazing. Amazing. Bruno, tell people how they can get a hold of you, how they can work with you, uh, where they can connect with you. Uh, I'll roll up the red carpet for you. Now's your, uh, now's your moment. <laughs> Yeah, of course. You can reach out anytime at info at my full name, brunoguberman.com. Uh, you can, uh, you know, just Google me. You'll, you'll find that as well. Or you can find me on Instagram or Facebook at Bruno Guberman. Um, and then, uh, yeah, that's pretty much where I hang out, Facebook and Instagram. That's where everybody's kind of paying attention these days. Yeah. And uh, send me a message, email, anything. I always, it takes a little bit of time sometimes, but I always respond. And uh, yeah, if you're stuck somewhere, just send me, uh, send me an email. We'll, uh, we'll get that unstuck or whatever now this, but basically be gentle with yourself, spend time with yourself, be loving, caring, compassionate. It's what's going to change the world. Amazing. Bruno, man, I'm really grateful for your time. You shared a lot of incredible things. I got a lot of reflecting to do myself after this as well, um, as I do try to do after every episode. So I really appreciate your time and thank you very much. And uh, yeah, I look forward to uh, chatting with you again in the future. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you for having me, man. This has been amazing.